You're listening to the Dietitian Cafe RD2B podcast, brought to you by New Ultra. My name is Lucy Deer and I'm a third year student dietitian. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by registered dietitian Fiona Moore, who has been involved in the creation of the new dietetic apprenticeships at Coventry University. In this episode, Fiona and I will discuss what dietetic apprenticeships have to offer, what dietetic apprentices are doing day to day, and what the response has been so far to this new style of dietetic education. Without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Fiona to introduce herself. So my name's Fiona Moore. Um, I qualified in 1984 um, from Cardiff University. Uh, and my first role as would be classed as a band five dietitian but we called them basic grades in those days um, was in Mansfield where I stayed until 1991 um, and I then moved to Derby uh, where I carried on my dietetic career Um, and I worked myself up the ranks um, from what we called a senior two dietitian in those days um, right up to taking over as manager of the department in 1999, I think it was, um, until I decided to take retirement in 2020. Um, but during that time, I saw the department grow from probably 10 dietitians to 90 plus staff of dietitians, dietetic assistants and uh, admin staff. And I saw three mergers during that time um, to finally end up with a department that was acute community based and also stretched across Derby and Burton. And at the moment, you are leading the course for the dietetic apprenticeships in Coventry. Is that right? Um, well, I do. I do I participate on the undergraduate and the postgraduate course in Coventry. Um, but I have helped them to develop the course. Uh, and I think partly because I was actually involved in Um, the early stage, (coughs) excuse me, the early stages of creating that um, a dietetic apprenticeship standard. Um, So I have a a fair bit of information around the the background of of how we got to where we are. Fantastic. So if I can just ask you then, where did the idea of a dietetic apprenticeship come from? Uh, I would say it probably came from a number of managers who were struggling to recruit into band five positions. Also had a number of dietetic assistants within their department who, for a variety of reasons, they could be personal reasons, whatever, felt that they were unable to give up their role, give up their job as an assistant and go away to university for three years to come back as a as a dietitian. Um, and these were sort of things that they wanted to be dietitians, these assistants did, but they couldn't see a, a way around it of being able to do that. And it was at the time that a 
um, there was a, a sort of government government initiative in in trying to create more apprenticeships. And can you talk to us a little bit about how the apprenticeship is structured? Um, so within Coventry, um, the apprenticeship is a um, it's a, a two year course. And it is um, at master's level. So it's what we call a level seven. Now, when we created the apprenticeship standard, it was created to either be delivered at a level six, which is the undergraduate uh, level, or at a level seven, which is a postgraduate sort of pre-registration master's level. Um, And so in Coventry, it was decided that we would go for the the level seven course um, and it is delivered over two years. And we have gone for um, an online delivery for a large proportion of the course. But there are set times when the individuals will be required to come in onto campus to do either simulation or um, uh, kitchen kitchen work or um, sort of uh, role playing that type of thing. And what would a typical day in the life of a dietetic apprentice look like at Coventry University? Um, so it would it would be quite full on actually. Uh, certainly within the first uh, the first semester that they do, because there are uh, there are four modules that they need to be taken during that first semester. So they would if they were doing an online day, <laughs> they would log on at nine o'clock um, and throughout that day, they would be online um, until five o'clock in the in the evening. Um, there will be breaks in between, of course, um, but throughout that day, they will be doing various um, activities that would be related to the modules that they're covering. Now, one thing that we do within Cov- on this course in Coventry is that we have adopted an inquiry-based learning approach to delivering this course. Uh, And what that means is that we as lecturers don't lecture to the students. We are facilitating them working in small groups on scenario type questions, which they then have to go away and research uh, during uh, various different uh, parts within the semester. So... To give you an example, um, the module that I have just run, uh, we would have a what we call a release of the trigger on, on one morning. And as a facilitator, I would spend time with the group and they would work their way through this trigger scenario, identifying things that they needed to learn more about. And they would create their own learning out, learning objectives. And they would then, each each individual student would then go away and they would research these learning objectives. So their session with me the following day, because they're with us on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, the session the following day would actually be the students doing some self-directed learning and going away and working on these learning outcomes. And then the following Tuesday, 
um, they we would have a session where it would be open to questions. So so students who maybe got some some uh, issues or some questions that they wanted to discuss around the trigger, they could log in and we would do that. And then the following day on the Wednesday, they would all come together back together as a group and they would feed back to each other on what they had um, what they had learnt over the last week or so. Um, and then they would be guided through the uh, evidence-based uh, learning process. So I'm sure there's a lot of people who are extremely excited about this new opportunity and this new way of learning. So we know that for a traditional university course, the application would be through UCAS. Is this the same for this course or is there a different way of applying? Right, so there is a different way of, of applying. So for the apprentice, um, what, what people need to um, bear in mind is that this is an employer-driven uh, course or, uh, or approach to, to teach to the, to the course. So if a dietetic for assistant, for instance, in a particular department was interested in the apprenticeship, the first thing they need to do is speak to their line manager about it. Um, at, because there will be uh, uh, teams within hospital trusts and organisations who are looking uh, responsible for apprenticeships within the whole of the organisation. And there is funding for the apprenticeship, but a, a trust will only have a certain pocket or a certain pot of money. Um, and so there needs to be discussions within each, within each individual organisation as to how many apprenticeships across the whole of the organisation that that trust can afford to, to fund. And then the a dietetic as, um, assistant interested in the apprenticeship would need to undergo some kind of uh, application process or interview process within their organisation, first of all to get agreement that there is the funding for them to take this forward. Once they've got that agreement, then it is um, that the line manager needs to forward an up-to-date CV and personal statement from the individual who is interested to myself um, as the admissions tutor. Um, and then that uh, CV will be screened um, to see whether they uh, meet the admissions criteria, which I'll come back to in a minute. Um, once we have screened those CVs, and if somebody is deemed to be, um, has met all the admissions criteria, we will then invite them for an interview. So we interview all our applicants. If they are successful at interview, they will then be an offered a place on the apprenticeship. But we then forward all that information to the apprenticeship team within Coventry University, who will require to see copies of certificates to, to prove qualifications. Um, so one thing that I would suggest to to anybody who might be interested in taking up the apprenticeship is start looking now for those uh, certificates that, that might go back a number of years um, because they will be required 
to to be seen in order to be accepted onto the course. So because it is a, um, a pre-reg master's at level seven, then the entry requirements are they must have an existing degree. That is, that is essential. It's desirable that that degree is in a health or science-based subject. Um, so somebody with a nutrition degree, we would, we would be looking at something like that. Um, they, these individuals must have maths and English at the equivalent of, well, at GCSE or the old O levels at grade C, or I think it's, a, it's now a, a number four or above um, is what we would be looking for. So again, we have a number of dietetic assistants um, who may be from a foreign country or their initial qualifications are from a foreign country. So we actually need to check out whether their English and maths are um, acceptable uh, or not. Um, and there have been some instances where um, we have required the apprentice uh, to or potential apprentice to actually either go and sit an, um, an IELTS exam if they're, they're um, international or um, may or have go and undertake the functional skills in English and maths to get them up to that required level that we need. Um, we also then look at quite closely at the personal statement to see what the individual is doing currently, because we are looking for um, those communication skills, those team working skills. Um, we are looking to see whether somebody has worked in a healthcare setting or not. Um, and we are looking for evidence that an individual uh, is working to the the core values of the NHS. Um, so we are picking out all those kinds of, of um, sort of qualities and skills from the personal statement. So that needs to, the personal statement needs to tell us not only why they want to do the apprenticeship, but what they're actually doing at the moment and, and whether they've had involvement in um, doing, actually speaking to individual patients um, and, and what sort of skills they've developed from that. Brilliant, thank you. And when you're taking um, the, the potential applicants onto the apprenticeship, do you take them on a continuous basis or is it a yearly intake similar to traditional uh, university courses? So we have, a, we have a yearly intake and our intake is January. So our next intake will be January 2023. We are already open for applications uh, at, at, at this time. Um, and so I would say, and we will be offering places to people on a surf, first comes first serve basis. Um, so if there are people who are interested in, in the apprenticeship and have had those discussions with their organization and with their line manager, um, then we are encouraging them, them to get those CVs and personal statements into us as soon as possible. We only have a set number of uh, places that we can take on the apprenticeship. Um, and that is 30 students. And that is not just apprentices because we are a, 
a mixed course of, of what we call fee payers as well. So these may be individuals who want to do the pre-reg masters, but are um, willing to, to pay the university fees to do that. Um, so we have two, two lots of individuals fighting for the, the 30 places that we've got. So it's definitely worth people sort of checking that out now and thinking for that January intake what they can be doing at this moment. Yep, because as, as soon as as soon as we have um, interviewed and accepted uh, our, our 30 students, then the next intake will be January 2024. Okay, so we're going to include some resources in our show notes as well for you listeners to have a look at if you're interested in this. Um, so feel free to have a click on those and it'll give you some more information as well. So can you tell us how are students assessed during the apprenticeship? Okay, so it's continual assessment through, throughout the, the course. So there is no final exam that they have to sit at the end. Um, and we try to do a variety of different types of assessments so that we are sort of catering for everybody's skills, basically. Uh, so there will be some sort of written assignments, uh, but there are also um, sort of tests that they have to do. Um, at the moment, the students are busy working on a, um, a, a recipe adaptation video that they, they have to submit as a, as a piece of coursework. Um, we would be looking at them. They undertake the basic food hygiene. Um, they may have to create an infographic. Um, so we're using a variety of different um, assessment methods uh, in order to sort of develop a variety of skills in, in the, the apprentices. And what would you say are the main benefits of choosing the apprenticeship over the traditional course? Um, I would say for the apprentice, it means that they don't have to give up their job. They can carry on working. Um, and for a number of people, that is probably one of the biggest benefits. Um, and they are not uh, creating a huge dare I say overdraft or whatever from from undergoing a, a fee paying course um, it means that they are still in the workplace so some of the the skills and qualities that we are developing whilst they're on the course they can take back into the into the workplace and put them into practice um, so I would say that there are a, a a fair number of, of benefits to um, to choosing the course. Absolutely. So have you or the others that are working on delivering this course come across any challenges in delivering the content in a new format like this? Uh, I would say one of the biggest challenges um, is the, the approach that we've taken. So that's the inquiry-based approach um, because that's been new to most of the, the students who have who have come onto the course. They, they are used to being taught in, in sort of the more, dare I say, traditional type of type of way. Um, so that has been one of the challenges. And tying into that, I think uh, it's being able to manage their their time 
and manage their learning needs. Um, and that for, for us as, as facilitators and lecturers is something that we will be reflecting on um, sort of once, once we've got through this first semester um, to, to see where, how we can support uh, the, the students going forward. Uh, because obviously we still need to make sure that they they cover the content that is required um, during the, the the course of the two years, um, and I think one of the other challenges again for the students is is trying to um, main, obtain all this knowledge that they need because the course is only two years. And a proportion of that two years, they have still got to undergo the, the thousand hours of clinical placement time that is part of the HCPC standards. Um, so I think that is that is the one of the biggest challenges. And I think also um, from the student perspective, another challenge is, is them being able to um, use opportunities within the workplace workplace. Um, to consolidate their learning, uh, because that actually requires support from their employers, uh, and they, they employers need to be thinking a little bit differently um, with an apprentice than they do when they just have a normal undergraduate student out on placement with them. Uh, so it's it's employers need to be working with the apprentice to identify um, learning opportunities that they can get that can help to consolidate the learning that they're getting from, from the masters. Um, and, and also um, the student themselves taking opportunities if they're out on a, on a ward um, doing their normal day-to-day -day work, but have the opportunity to meet a speech and language therapist and they're learning about dysphagia at, whilst they're on the course then it's taking that opportunity and and asking the speech and language therapist if they can um, maybe observe them doing a, a swallowing screen for dysphagia uh, and or have a chat with them regarding what what they do and how that fits into what they're learning and I think that can be challenging for the apprenticeship or apprentice because they're still trying to do their day-to-day -day work on the three days that they're not in they're not um doing the apprenticeship if that makes sense yes absolutely that makes complete sense and just on that note as well have you had any feedback from the current students on the course um so they've just completed a, a what we call a module evaluation questionnaire so that is some is feedback that they've given us um and they do sort of overall they do appear to be enjoying the course um and now they've got to grips with the evidence-based learning approach um they seem to be understanding how that they can use that approach um, and how they can actually take it back in into their workplace and, and their job role. Um, so I think they're so far it is it is looking quite positive. Um, although we appreciate that this uh, this learning this teaching approach doesn't meet everybody's learning styles. Um, so it's 
it is taking a little bit of uh, of getting used to for for some students. Um, but by take by giving them this approach as well, it is also giving them a little bit of leadership, which is is something else. Some of those skills that uh, that we sort of need to develop in in dietitians going forward. So the feedback is is positive, um, but also it has made uh, they have identified some areas where we need to look at what we're doing as well. That's great. And it's like with anything new, isn't it? You're going to have to take these things on board and move forward um, and adapt as well. So that's great to hear that you're taking in the students' feedback. Um, So what has been your favourite part of delivering the apprenticeship so far? I think it's it's being it's it's working. It's facilitating these these groups of of students. Um, So we currently have. 18 students on the course, 15 of who are apprentices. And so they're split up into two groups. So we have two groups of nine. Um, And it's what I've enjoyed um, is sort of seeing those students in those uh, in their early, early stage when they are um, looking at this scenario, this trigger question, and they're sort of thinking, I don't quite really know what to do here but as you've supported them and helped them go through the process you can see those little light bulbs um, coming on and um, by the time they get to the feedback session they've they've actually been away and they've learned quite a lot uh, and and it's quite evident that they've learned a lot and as we've taken them through the module they have become more confident at what they're doing, more confident at um, talking to each other in their little groups and more slicker at uh, the processes that they're undertaking. So it's, it's, I suppose it's, it's seeing them develop during this time. Brilliant. And do you expect that over time, dietetic apprenticeships will be more mainstream and will be delivered across the country? Um, I would I would hope so. Uh, I would also hope that somebody somewhere will consider creating a dietetic apprenticeship that is going to be catered for the, the level six, the undergraduates, um, because I suspect there are a number of people out there who might be interested in, in undertaking that, that uh, working their way through the apprenticeship that way. Um, I think at the moment we have got students from all over the UK and the applications that we are getting for, for January 2023 are for all over the UK. Uh, but I would like to think that there will be other universities who will consider taking on this apprenticeship uh, and being able to deliver it to individuals closer to home. Uh, And they may choose to to have those individuals coming into campus for their teaching rather than the way that we have done it. So I I think over time we will see uh, more apprentices, apprenticeships coming on board. It's not something that happens quickly. Um, it took a two years or more to for Coventry to get it up and running. Um, so it does take a little bit of time. 
but I would like to think that we will see more being delivered across the country and maybe being delivered in different ways as well. Brilliant. And this is quite a big question for you, but what do you think the future holds for the dietetic profession? I think it's quite positive. Um, There appear to be more and more jobs available for for dietitians. Um, And that's not just at a band five level. There are lots of jobs available for band fives, but that with the... um, first contact practitioner roles and um, sort of primary care network roles, then I think that dietetics and the profession is moving upwards and moving forwards. And and there are a lot more roles that are available. Uh, There are areas that are becoming more specialist and that requires um, uh, dietitians with, with more specialist knowledge. Uh, and so I think there is a there is a good future there. And then obviously there's there's the element of the sort of there's lots to be done in the public health arena, um, lots to be done there. But also dietitians working in in a wide variety of different areas. Absolutely, and I do hope that through this podcast we've shown some of our listeners some of the different areas that are available. Our last episode was on public health, um, so it, it's good to see the big variety that's coming out that people can get involved in. So if you could go back in time and give advice to your student self, knowing everything that you know now, what would that advice be? Oh, dear me. <laughs> um what advice would that be? I, w- I think probably to, to, to get out there and seek every available opportunity that you have to increase your knowledge, increase your skills um, and take, uh, yeah, take every opportunity you can um, to advance your, your career. It's, you don't have to decide in those early days where you want to specialise. Um, and I would perhaps say to some people who who are very, very, other than those that are very, very set in their idea of where they want to be, I would say to people, get as much experience as you can in a wide variety of areas um, that will then give you the option to decide exactly what you do want to do uh, as time goes on. Um, I always said in my early days, I would never go into management Uh, and look where I ended up for a number of, uh, well, 20 plus years. So I don't think you can never say never. Um, But even but also, even if you do end up by working in one area of speciality, don't think that that is it. You can move on to a different speciality if you want, because those skills that you've got are those transferable skills. Um, it's just the you may need to brush up on your knowledge on in a, in a different area. But there's no reason why you can't move from one speciality to another if that's what you decide to do uh, as time goes on. Fantastic. That's great advice. Thank you for sharing that with us, Fiona. That's OK. Thank you so much for your time today, Fiona, and for sharing your valuable experience with us. It's been so great to hear about the dietetic apprenticeships. A huge thank you once again to New Altra for making this podcast possible. 
If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Dietitian Cafe RD2B podcast, consider subscribing and leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more RD2Bs. You can also follow New Ultra on social media at New Ultra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening. Our next episode will be out soon.